Well, we've been talking uh, in our series here about First Peter, and um, it ends up being quite a relevant book because First Peter was written really to talk about how to deal in a hostile world, a world that's hostile to Christianity. And Second Peter was written to deal with hostility within the church. Let me think both of these might be relevant. <laughs> so uh, we're in First Peter, and we're actually in chapter 2, if you'd like to turn there. First Peter chapter 2. And our focus today will be on uh, verse 13 through 17. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. Now, uh, just to, by way of introduction, as I've mentioned before, Christians um, during this time we're seen and characterized by the government and increasingly by society as what were called evildoers. And that word evildoer really literally means a lawbreaker. So they were pictured as lawless. They were pictured as uh, atheists. They were actually called atheists because they would not worship the gods of the emperor or the Roman pantheon of gods. So they were called atheists. So Back then, it would have been actually um, probably a good thing to say that you're an atheist, you might say. Because in that sense, they did not believe in the pantheon of gods of Rome. They were seen as cannibals because of a superficial reading, or maybe not reading, but a hearing about what Christ had said in John 6. If you do not eat my flesh or drink my blood... You'll have no part with me. They said, it's obvious that these are cannibals. They were seen as incestuous because they were talking about love feasts and they were talking about um, brothers and sisters at a love feast. And of course, they said, well, that means they must be having incestuous relationships. They were seen as breakers of families because they, uh, the teaching was that if you accept Christ, you need to defy father and mother or husband or, or whoever and follow Christ. So they said they're breaking up the families. They were seen as uh, tearing down the slave trade because they were saying things like there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free. And so they, obviously they're tearing down the, the slave trade. So they were threatening the economy, they were threatening the family, they were threatening the religion, they were threatening the monarchy, and so they were seen as evildoers and lawbreakers. And uh, they were severely punished by the emperor because of this. And the emperor was no kind guy, he was maybe a kind guy, the kind you don't need, um, Nero. And uh, Nero was increasingly corrupt himself, he was openly practicing immorality, he was like many of the Caesars, and he was severely punishing Christians, and the emperor, as well as many around him, would ultimately turn on Peter himself, and Peter would be killed. 
So how was it that they were supposed to respond? We talked about this a little bit last week. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So um, you're, you're sojourners, you're pilgrims. Don't give any reason for them to say that you're immoral because they're already saying that. Um, Live morally pure lives. Verse 12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles when they speak of you as, what did they call them? Lawbreakers or evildoers. They may by your good works, which they observe, observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So be moral. Do good works. And then our text for today, verse 13 through 17 but let's look at verse 15 first here. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may do what? Put to silence, or literally muzzle, the ignorance of foolish men. So, by doing good works, by being morally pure, you can actually silence the ignorance of foolish men. They don't have anything, anything credible to stand on. Now, it's in this setting that Peter moves on to, well, how do we relate to a government that obviously has some malefactors in it? And with that in mind, look at verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of men for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the governors as to those who are sent by him for punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. What? What are we supposed to do? What does the text say? Submit. (laughs) Submit to the government. Wait, weren't they the ones calling us atheists, cannibals, (laughs) accusing us of breaking up families and doing away with the economy, and we're supposed to submit, first of all, let's think about that word submit. It's kind of a, a word that many people today are not really happy to hear. Um, and it's something that maybe as American individualists we react against in some ways. But there it is, the word submit. The word submit, of course, is assuming that you're doing this as a free act of your own will. And submission in this particular verse is coming out of, you can see in the passage itself, it's coming out of freedom, verse 16. As free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice. So, what Peter is saying is, is you're free. You're free in Christ. You've been born again. You have a living hope. You have the hope of the resurrection. Even if people kill you, you don't have to worry about it. You're free. And use that freedom to do what? Submit to the government. Submit to what exactly? What does it say there in verse 13? Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. This word ordinance actually means creation of man. And what is it that governments create? 
laws. <laughs> uh, they're lawmakers, right? They create laws, they create institutions. And this is the whole idea. Submit yourself to every creation, every law they come up with. I like how Ellen White puts it. Whenever we can comply with the law of the land without putting ourselves in a false position, we should do so. I looked up some of the laws in California, because there's some crazy laws in California, or at least people might think they're crazy. I don't want to be disrespectful in a sermon saying submit to the government. But uh, California laws. Uh, did you know uh, it is illegal for women to drive vehicles while wearing a house coat? How many of you knew that? Ladies, watch out. How many think that's possible to submit to that law without perjuring yourself? Secondly, homeowners who have Christmas lights on in San Diego past February 2 are subject to a $250 fine. All right, how many of you say that's a crazy rule? But you could, you could live with it. How many could live with it? Okay. Los Angeles, it's illegal to pour salt on the highway in Hermosa, on Hermosa Beach. So keep those salt shakers in the car. Long Beach, um, you can't have anything other than a car in your garage. I think my wife would like that one. She's been cleaning out the garage. <laughs> Only the car, nothing else. So <laughs> if, our, if our garage had looked like it did a week ago, I probably would be in jail at this point. In Downey, you cannot wash your vehicle in the street. Um, in your yard, yes, but not in the street. So watch out there. Um, you cannot wash your neighbor's car unless you have written permission as well. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on there, but people were just randomly washing other people's car, and they said, this must come to a stop. <laughs> right? Um, in Blythe, you, you can wear cowboy boots. How many think, amen, praise the Lord, cowboy boots. But only if you have two cows. <laughs> so, so submit to the laws. <laughs> Every ordinance of man, every creation, I mean, it, it only gets more interesting. Uh, in Palm Springs, it's illegal. You might want to write this down just in case you're tempted. It's illegal to walk a camel down Palm Canyon Drive. So if you were thinking of other streets, that's fine, but not Palm Canyon. And speaking of animals, peacocks have the right-of-way. In Weimar. No, I, I, think that, I think it should say that, because how many of you heard those peacocks over there by the, uh, by the post office? Uh, but actually, this is a law in Arcadia. Peacocks have the right-of-way in Arcadia, in all roadways, and even the driveway. So don't mess with the peacocks. And then flying a kite higher than 10 feet off the ground is prohibited in Walnut, California. I mean, how could you fly a kite at nine feet off the ground? <laughs> but how many think it's something you're going to have to live with and it's not against really your conscience? So if you're thinking about doing that, Pastor, don't do it. You'll not be singing special music here again if you do that. Um, this one kind of hit me personally because of a personal experience a number of years ago. I had a car in Kansas that broke down. Well, it kind of broke down. Uh, I could only make the car go in reverse. And so I backed the car home 
for about five miles. And it was kind of hard going through the intersections and stuff and some odd looks. It ends up, it's illegal to do that, probably there, but specifically in Glendale, California. So, um, now for those of you into building codes in Prunedale, two bathtubs cannot be installed in the same house. Don't ask me why. Um, this one I think is important too. In Berkeley, you cannot whistle for a lost canary, canary before 7 a.m. And finally, uh, if this is not already enough, um, walking an elephant down Market Street in San Francisco is illegal. So if you were thinking of walking your elephant down the street in San Francisco, you can't do it. Unless, I think this is good, the elephant is on a leash. <laughs> I was reading that, I was going, now what difference would a leash make with an elephant? <laughs> Okay, and what the text is saying here, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. For the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, don't walk the elephant now. <laughs> now these seem crazy, but the whole idea is, yeah, mankind will come up with crazy ordinances unless it goes against one of God's laws. Just do it. Just do it. That's the whole idea. And uh, there are examples, of course, that are a little more serious than this. You see, the Israelites, back in the Old Testament, they had a hard time submitting to God's will and His way and His laws. And they started thinking that maybe they should submit to the will and way of the Egyptians, whom God had taken them out of slavery there. But they started to cozy up to the Egyptians and go back to their will and their ways. And so God said, well, wait a minute. Uh, I don't want you to do that. He sent prophets, and they wouldn't even listen to the prophets. And so there was the Battle of Carchemish. You probably were thinking about that this morning at breakfast. Remember the Battle of Carchemish? And they went up there, and they lost the battle, and they were taken captive to Babylon. And this is the setting of the book of Daniel, which some of us have been studying. And when they got there, Jeremiah wrote to them as to how they should behave. Thus saith, this is Jeremiah 29, verse 4 through 10, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. Wait, we're not supposed to fight against Babylon? No, 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 no. <laughs> Live in Babylon. Build houses in Babylon. Um, and what's more, verse 7, even more radical, Jeremiah Chapter 24, or 29, verse 7. And seek the peace of the city where I've caused you to be carried captive. Oh God, grant peace to Babylon. This is the whole idea. And pray to God for it. For in its peace, you will have peace. This is kind of different than a message we normally preach, come out of Babylon. No, pray for Babylon. Live in Babylon. Have wives, have children, have others. 
Why is this? Why is God saying this? He's saying submit. He's basically saying use your freedom in me to submit to Babylon because I have a purpose and I have a plan. I might say that the worst government, the worst of government, in a certain sense is better than no government at all. How many would agree with that statement? How many would say, I'm not sure? I'm not going to die on this hill, but I think that I saw, you know, even in communist countries, when communism fell, or many of these countries, the infrastructure completely fell apart. And the entire country was just, as I went to Romania once, totes, totes, total thieves. You would go places and people would steal from you. You couldn't, every, everywhere you went, people were trying to take advantage. There was no real infrastructure right after communism fell. There was no food being passed out. And some people were like saying, bring back the communists, <laughs> you know, just because the infrastructure was totally obliterated. Anarchism says, I'll obey God, but I'll disobey the government. And that's kind of in our air today. We try to go against um, almost everything. Radical patriotism. I'll obey government no matter what. How many of you remember the Nuremberg trials after, maybe you weren't alive then, but how many of you heard about the trials after World War II? And everybody was there and they said, look, we're not guilty. We were told to do this. We had no choice. And uh, that didn't fly in that court of law. In fact, there was a book written about it called Hitler's Willing Executioners. You actually submitted to do something that was against God's law from a man who definitely was working to deceive you. I, I read a dissertation once by one of my friends who wrote on Hitler's speeches. You know, he called himself the Fuhrer. And uh, he would take all the sayings of Christ and put himself in those speeches. And he was actually rescripting people to have him seen as God. And um, in Nuremberg, they said, you should have stood up against that tyranny. Um, do not follow a multitude of the scriptures to do evil. Verse 8, Jeremiah, we're continuing in that passage. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets or your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, nor to listen to your dreams which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. They were all saying, hey, uh, attack, go against the government, do this. He says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't fall for their agitation, calling for insurrection. Remember what happened when you followed the Egyptians? Trust me, I have a plan and I have a promise. Verse 10, for thus saith the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. And then comes that promise that we all take out of context and just apply it to ourselves without the context. I know the thoughts I have towards you. Right? Thoughts of peace and not of evil. Thoughts of the future and a hope. How many of you have ever heard that? That's the most searched text and downloaded text 
on the U-version Bible for, I don't know, every year except for COVID. Uh, but it's in the context of what? Submitting to a government for 70 years the government of Babylon. And this is the same principle that Peter is advancing. You're in a foreign land. You're aliens. You're strangers. How do you act? Well, seek the welfare of that land for your own benefits. Build your houses. Raise your families. Live your life. Pray for government officials. Rest in the knowledge that God is working out his will. He has a plan and he has a purpose for your life. Jeremiah 24, verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Like these good figs, so I will regard as good the captives of Judah, whom I have set sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans. For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them into this land again, and I will build them up and not overthrow them, and I will plant them and not pluck them up, and I will give them a heart to know me, for I am the Lord, and they will be my people, and I will be their God. For they will return to me with their whole heart. Part of returning to God with our whole heart and following to know the Lord is submitting <laughs> to government. This is the will of God, it says, and Peter says. Now, how did Daniel and his friends live this out? So we're talking about Babylon. I think it's interesting. I just was thinking about this, and I also remembered a conversation I had with Fito years ago where he was talking about liberty principles in Daniel. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember talking about that, Fito, but you just think about that in your, in your mind for a minute. In Daniel chapter 1, here they're taken captive, and they're, they're set up with mandated food and drink and mandated education, mandated names. Obviously, the government is trying to overstep their bounds a bit there, would you say? And to the extent that they could identify with the government program, they did. They went to Boo, Babylon University, and they actually graduated with honors, but they actually used the education they were getting to stand up respectfully and yet insistently to not eat what they knew was wrong to eat and not drink what was wrong to eat. But notice the respect. They said, test your servants for 10 days. Let's do this. And they sought to carry the government officials along with them and they did. How many think this might be a good approach? Daniel chapter 2, asking for time from the king so that they could pray. And then the answer was given to them. Again, they are submitting to the government to the extent they can, hoping to work things through. Daniel chapter 3, they went to the dedication. They went to the plain of Dura. They did everything they could do, but they went to a point where they couldn't do it. And then they said what? We're not doing that. We can't do that. Okay, we'll take the punishment you give to us. We're not going to resist and try and lay down in the dirt. You don't have to drag us to the fiery furnace. Take us, fine, but we have to tell you that we have to obey God rather than you in this. 
And by the way, they ultimately carried the day, didn't they? They were taken out of the furnace and they were put in charge. I mean, I think this is a, a good approach. Creatively working with authority, not compromising, being willing to accept the punishment, ultimately carried the day. And the king said, look, I want people that are filled with <laughs> peace like you guys around me in my inner circle. Everybody else freaked out. Everyone else bowed down. I want people like you. Daniel 4, supporting an evil leader for seven years. I mean, I guess I can't prove this, but who was taking care of the king for those seven years that he was out there in the field? If it was God, I'm sure it would have said, and God himself came down. But I have a sneaking suspicion it might have been Daniel. Here, king, 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 king. Time for your omega-3s. Here. Okay, stay in the rose garden. Don't go out, because you might get killed. It's really a dog-eat-dog -dog here, you know. And the king ultimately came to his senses, his reason returned, and then he's asked to write the chapter in the Bible of his own conversion. I mean, I think we should have <laughs> this kind of compassion for even corrupt Nebuchadnezzar-like leaders as we try and lead them to the Lord. That's the picture given in chapter 4. Chapter 5, again, doing all that could be done to support an evil leader, this time very young, probably named after Daniel himself, reaching out in the hopes to turn him around, bringing the queen mother in, the king himself, trying to turn this leader around. Daniel chapter 6, showdown of God's law versus man's law. Daniel would not compromise. And here we see kind of this other almost uh, public demonstration or resistance against overstepping government. He goes home, he opens his window, he doesn't go behind the scenes, he prays publicly, right? He does all these things while facing Jerusalem. <laughs> he lived out his faith, but was still respectful. He was a statesman. Sometimes we think that uh, government is bad and we should stay away from it. I actually think we need more people that are Christians and Seventh-day Adventist Christians engaged in government itself. Have you thoughts that you dare not express that you may one day stand upon the summit of intellectual greatness, that you may sit in deliberative and legislative councils and help to enact laws for the nation? There's nothing wrong with these aspirations, says Ellen White. And by the way, given the laws in California, how many think the sooner the better? Get rid of the elephant laws, right? Let's focus on something more. Important. I love it. I love how, you know, how was it that Daniel responded when he comes out of the lion's den? Oh, king, live forever. Now, how many think that right there is uh, amazing? How many would, would have that response if you were put in the lion's den? Come out the next day. Oh, king, I just wanted to chat with you a little bit. I, I hope that you live eternally. No, you're probably saying, you know what? I got out of here, and you're not going to get out of here. 
But this is the whole idea of shutting the mouths of those that are calling us evildoers, turning things around. What did it say in our text? That you might silence the mouth of the foolish. No compromise, but seeking to carry as many along as possible. Of course, there are times, like we said, when we should not submit. But there are examples of people in Scripture being commended for disobeying government. Can you think of any? Rahab, the harlot, the Hebrew midwives, the three Jews, as we've already mentioned, that said no to Nebuchadnezzar. All of these were outlined in some Bibles during the Reformation time, the Geneva Bible. The Geneva Bible had all these footnotes in it about when you should stand up to unjust tyranny. And King James hated that Bible. He did not like that Bible at all because he had developed a theory called the divine right of kings. And he liked the idea that you should submit to the government no matter what they did because they're divine. So he said when the Puritans came down, when he came to the throne of both England and Scotland, in 1606 or something like that, I think it was, 1606, they had what was called the Millennial Petition. So there's only a thousand things we want changed in the government. Millennial Petition. <laughs> and the one he went for was, oh, you want a new translation of the Bible? I'll give that to you. Immediately said, yes, why? Because they could get rid of the Geneva Bible with all of its footnotes. He said, no footnotes in this Bible. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Um, ultimately, this would play out. The American Revolution stood up against the tyranny of the government. And uh, it's interesting to read how they studied whether or not this was biblical or not. Didn't say submit. And they, they debated this very text. But it's clear that uh, there are places where you should stand up, like we mentioned already. And if you want to look in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 13, picture the time when there would be um, those that were calling to people who go against their conscience and breaking the first four commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Don't worship the beast. Thou shalt make any image to the beast. Thou shalt not make any graven image. Don't take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, the name and number of the beast, and don't receive the mark of the beast. That's the Sabbath commandment, right? So these are the first four commandments. And there was this idea pictured in chapter 14 that there would be a group of people that did not bow down to that. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the what? Faith of Jesus. So the faith of Jesus would lead to obedience of God's law, even in the face of, of, of extreme pressure, which is what the word patience means. And so there actually was this theology within Revelation and within Daniel that was saying there would be a group of people that would stand up. Revelation 12 makes it obvious the timeline of that. And America stood up 
and opened up as a land of liberty right at the time when the scriptures indicated it would. This is a time of new government being set up in the face of tyrannical government. So in closing, how then should we disobey if we are going to disobey? Number one, obey God and not man. Realize that in submitting to government, you submit to the extent that you can where you can obey God in doing that, but not man. Number two, obey in any area you can. Some people get confused. Oh, government, they do evil things with our tax money, so I'm not going to pay taxes. I have visited many people in jail that came up with that idea. Um, <laughs> and Jesus answered that in our scripture reading, didn't he? They came and tried to trip Jesus up, saying you must be against Rome, or you must against, you know, play the two off. He looked at the coin, he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they go, wow, what a wise man. But it is very wise. Pay your taxes. Pay your tithe. Right? That's what he's saying. So obey in any area you can. Uh, oh, by the way, you know, during communism, uh, I was reading a story about a lady that was keeping her tithe and different things under her mattress, saving it all up, and then, you know, returning it later. And then also there's a biblical example where in Jeremiah, you know, the, the field of Anathoth was built, was purchased, even though it was under um, a faulty government at that time, and God honored that later on. That's the area where Bethlehem came from. So honoring God and to the extent that you can under a government that maybe in many ways is not following God. Run away from tyranny. This is another way to disobey. Did David stay with Saul in the house? Tyrannical king? No, he ran away. And he kept sometimes a great distance behind him. He didn't just run over and hang out with him all the time. And of course, Jesus did not go to Jerusalem. He didn't go where he was going to get killed until the right time. So there are times to run away. And then I think also work for change. Did Daniel work for change within the government? Yes, he did. Did Nehemiah work for change? Yes, he did. And he got the permission of Cyrus, right? And Cyrus gave the permission, and they went back, and they rebuilt the wall, the temple, even in troublesome times. So work for change. This is another way, maybe not to disobey, but to amend things. And finally, if caught, submit and rejoice in the punishment that you receive for God. What credit is you? is it to you if you're beaten for your faults? Even the evil have this happen to them. But if you're beaten for doing what's good, then rejoice in that. This is the way to disobey. This is the way to relate to government. You know, uh, as I was reading some of the Adventist history, um, I began to see how wonderful it is to live in America. How many of you are thankful for America? 
the American experiment was really God-ordained. I mean, it may be under attack, assault these days. There may be more things being threatened. But what a wonderful option we have here to live out in freedom according largely to the dictates of our conscience. How many of you are thankful for that? And to separate the church from the state made it so much easier for that to happen. And this is something I believe that, of course, God ordained. Ellen White, in writing about the United States, and by the way, she had no problems displaying the flag on a platform where she was preaching. She had no problems talking about America as a wonderful country after having visited a number of countries. How many of you have visited other countries other than America? And now we are always thankful to come back to America. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Uh, I, I, I just think it's, I mean, I've been in a number of countries, and I can't think of very many where I'd want to stay too long, even though there's a lot of nice stuff there. I love coming back to America, Omar. I love that, Omar. Samantha, just remember that. <laughs> love coming back to America. This is what she wrote about it. The Lord has done more for the United States. Listen to this. The Lord has done more for the United States than for any other country upon which the sun shines. What? So, the Lord has done more for the United States than for any other country upon which the sun shines. Here he provided an asylum for his people where they could worship him according to the dictates of their conscience. What a blessing. So again then, our text is to read it as we close. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of men for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, or those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, or for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the King. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio, and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.